This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Shit is a play by Patricia Cornelius, directed by Susie D, about young women and the kind of young women that society generally doesn't portray on stage, let alone uh, on TV or in other mediums. Um, Susie and Patricia join me in the studio now to talk shit. Welcome to you both. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, Hi, Richard. Always nice to hang out and talk shit with the two of you. Yeah. <laughs> you love talking shit. Yeah. So this is a remount of uh, a play that had its original season last year, uh, 2015, as part of the MTC neon season of independent theatre. It's having uh, an encore season at 45 downstairs did you you guys approach 45 downstairs did they approach you how did this oh, come yeah, it was about? it was opening night actually of shit you know at neon in the lawler theater and the first person i literally banged into was mary lou gelbart from 45 downstairs just walking out of the theater and she just said immediately i wanted it 45 downstairs it's got to have another season we want you to come there Please, we'll do anything to make it make it work. And uh, yeah, so that invitation right from the word go, brilliant. Yeah. She's a great champion champion for independent theatre. She's sort of on the ball, Mary Lou. You're sort of that gorgeous appetite where you go, oh my god, I don't have to kind of to go hunt around or try to find anybody else. The, her offers are genuine and quick, and they're, they're, it's fantastic. And not just a champion of independent theatre, but a champion of your work, Patricia, as well. Because yeah. I've I've seen quite a few of your your plays now at forty five. Yeah, so, and. I think you've directed almost all of them from memory, Susie. <laughs> no, I haven't. I didn't direct uh, Do, Do Not, Not Go, Go Gentle. Gentle. I did say almost. Yeah. Almost. All right, Richard, yeah. you have to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm not bitter and twisted. No, I didn't like that play. It wasn't very good, Richard. Just won almost every award there is to win. Shush now. <laughs> so tell us about the, the professional relationship the two of you have because you have collaborated a lot in the independent theatre sector. Going back... More than twenty years. Uh, uh, maybe thirty. Maybe thirty years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we've known each other for a really long time. I, I think the collaboration is about the kind of theatre that we both love. Uh, we're very actor orientated and and our love of theatre, and we um, also really enjoy kind of visceral and a, a, a vibrant kind of um, movement based theatre. So there's there's a sort of a history for both of us. I mean, Susie's done all sorts of things in circus and in physical movement stuff, and but the blend of that kind of expertise into the usual dramas is just so wonderful. So we, we're kind of a good match, I think. And you get, get so good at understanding each other. So she knows my work. And so there's kind of no worry about tone and all those things that are odd. You know, when somebody thinks something's very serious and actually it's meant to be funny, it's quite quite unnerving. <laughs> she gets it. So it's great. So you have a shorthand together, which also then means presumably you don't take shit from one another. You can just kind of like... No, it's a very honest relationship. And I, I love having Patricia in the room. You know, there's some directors that, you know, they want the writer outside the room and, you know, come in just once a week and, you know, I'll accept your feedback. But, you know, I love Patricia's. I love her being in the room. I love her input. Uh, I think it's really healthy. 
Well, yeah, it can be honest. Yeah, yeah, it can shortcut it. Love that. Yeah. So let's talk uh, about shit in a bit of detail. It's won four Green Room Awards in the independent from the Independent Theatre Panel. Um, so uh, it's not just me who thinks it's a bloody good play, but uh, a whole lot of other people as well. As well. So it won Best Production, Best Writing, Design, and Ensemble Performance as well. But where did it begin? It began in a project where there were a lot of uh, female theatre makers and it was a project called Lock Up and it was in a development stage. There were three directors and three writers and we were looking at women and the kind of uh, notion of Lock Up being both metaphorical and real, women in who are locked up literally and women who are locked up in their bodies or locked up societally um, and socially. So you... you it was a terrific project that took on different angles because of the, the diversity of, of um, performers and directors and writers. And so Shit became, was my piece and uh, was my reaction both to the world and but to the world of theatre where uh, you, you have all these young men in, uh, in performance that are really wonderful and fa- fabulous and have kind of a freedom in and take the space and have allow themselves to uh, take the space and have been allowed whereas there's been kind of a history or, of where women are, are have been quite reduced and and are, are not able to kind of freely take that space in a, such a visceral way so I was really interested in that we were all interested in that how to empower women actually in the space so I took three really, really difficult women, gorgeous, gorgeous, foul-mouthed, mean, nasty bitches <laughs> who could kind of... had to kind of work really hard in that space to seduce an audience, to be bothered with them. And I, luckily, they're very... People are bothered with them and by them. Yeah. Well, it's it's one of the things that, just watching the play, um, uh, I went to see it, I think I went to a, uh, the final preview uh, before the opening night, because it was so popular. I was a little bit disorganised and didn't get around to RSV being for the opening night, suddenly booked out. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad it meant lots of people see it, saw it. But I, I was sitting there watching these women thinking, these are these are young women that I would maybe, if I was sitting next to them on a train, kind of, I would feel intensely uncomfortable. I would I I would possibly even feel threatened. Um, they're difficult women. They're damaged women. But there is something poetic and beautiful about the the litany of language that they unleash in the opening scenes of the play. And then as we peel layers away from them and realise just how damaged they are but how alive they are as well. Susie, in terms of directing this and getting that balance right between aggression, tension, uh, trauma um, and empathy, talk to us about making sure that that tonally all came together. Yeah, well I also, I think it's in the text, I think Patricia's written these really bold characters and I think there's enough in the text, you know, that there, there is there's a lot of humour in the text. It's harsh, but putting it on the floor, you know, I knew that it needed a, a bold style and a, a characters that weren't afraid to be ugly, you know, and that and at no time in the script, Patricia actually said she doesn't want these characters to transcend ugliness. So we didn't romanticise these characters at all. And I think the three performers that we chose to sort of take part in shit were not afraid to sort of you know take on that boldness that ugliness and and play with that tone of being really brash really in your face so I think it was just a a process of 
embracing the text, embracing the characters, and just Patricia's, it, it had nuance in the text. It goes, it, it 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 softens, it gets loud, you know. So we just extended those moments, I suppose, and and looked at choreographic elements of of beauty. At some some points, you look at the set and you look at the three characters. And there's this it's framed by these beautiful window boxes, and at one point it's really beautiful, and you feel a lot of empathy for the characters. Next minute, you know, the music comes in, and it's really it takes you somewhere else. So it was just about riding the wave, and we did it. And it's a as in, riding the wave is a beautiful metaphor because it begins with this kind of uh, from memory. I, I, I'll have to sit down and try and reread the script at some stage if you'll loan me a copy. Um, but it, it starts off with this litany of swearing, which I was sitting there going, "This is on at the MTC. I love this. This is going to be <laughs> confronting for some members of the MTC audience, and deliberately so, I'm sure." But there was a playfulness to the profanity at the start of the play, and then that playfulness drops away, and we start to see more of a darkness creep into the work. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you love swearing? Why do you love writing swearing in your playing? Oh, your so lo- I love. I'm um, really. I feel a bit t- tongue-tied because I can't do my usual. I'm not free with my language. On this station, Richard. I, but I, I, think, I, I like swearing I, anyway. I've I could always... give a language warning to the listeners, <laughs> and you could just relax. Maybe, yeah, have to. I, I, I think there's something fabulous about the vernacular. It, it sort of can be really, really funny, and also but incredibly empowering to speak it, and also to hear it. It can be terrifying. So it, it's sort of an extraordinary uh, strength in it. And it also, I can't like the way that people are priggish about it. You sort of think, oh, for God's sake we're a country of swearers we're as foul mouth as you could be and to be able to win that but also I knew I can't have these three girls I know the vernacular I go on the 86 tram I hear them so you can't you can't have characters who don't use it all of us I can't clean them up because the authenticity is just ridiculous well, is not there so and also I like the challenge of it so really the whole first scene which is quite a long one is about kind of about the vernacular about how, when to use it you know so one of them warns her that you're not using it well I love um, that the, the the notion because there's the cliche that's um uh, if you swear you're uneducated or and it uh, reveals that you have a, a lack of vocabulary and you're not articulate. And their swearing is articulate. <laughs> yeah. It's so pointed yeah. and, and poetic, as you say, uh, and, and kind of really deliberate and in your face as well. It's, it's beautifully written. Yeah, and I think it's sort of like the provocation with a title. Like if you cannot handle shit, the word shit, do not come to this play. It is quite clear that it's not for you. If you're going to ring up all offended, if you're going to find it too hard on your artistic sensibilities about what theatre or what uh, art's about, don't come because it's a good warning. I mean, I sometimes think it's a bit of a childish sort of um, title. It was a provocation. Yeah, yeah, immature about it. It's called shit. But they're going to come and say shit. But it's also deliberate in this sense this is what you're going to cop. This is what they think they are. This is what the world thinks they are. Actually, the world thinks women are shit. So come on, come on, have a look. But if you're going to get all too worried about it, then just stay at home. <laughs>
There was so, uh, there were stories at MTC when people would ring up to book. They would say, "Can I make a booking for that play?" S H I T. I think the box office staff said, "Well, if you can't say the word, perhaps it's not the right sort of show you should be coming along to." <laughs> Loved it, nah. and it was a very pleasurable at the MTC when you know you hear the ding dong, the bells, and then you know, please, ladies and gentlemen, make your way to see shit. Shit <laughs> is now starting. Please make your way to see shit. It was very uh, pleasurable. If you've just tuned. We're speaking to playwright Patricia Cornelius and director Susie D about uh, Patricia's play Shit, which is on at 45 downstairs from the 4th to the 15th of May. It's, a, it's an encore season. I highly recommend you, uh, you book to see it, and I'll give the booking details at the end of the interview. Susie, I wanted to ask you about the cast that uh, are performing in this work uh, because Peter Brady uh, is well-known as an actor and is a beautiful actor as well. Beautiful. Um, Nikki Wilkes, I think of more, I guess, as a physical performer in some ways, as well as an actor. And Sarah Ward is best known as a cabaret artist. So it was fascinating to see the three of them on stage and gelling so beautifully as a cast. Yeah, because they hadn't worked together before. Patricia and I talked about the cast a lot and we knew it was essential to get the three characters right. And I've worked with Nikki for, uh, on quite a lot of projects. And really, yeah, she's done, done a lot of work in physical theatre. Circus Sarge was you know, a really great, fine, comic performer. But... Um, I knew she could take on really gutsy characters, and I think Patricia said, I think you even said, come on, let's go with Nikki. And so Nikki... I saw her years ago, and I, you know the thing where you go, I want to work with her. Uh, there's something grand about the... She's, for a tiny little body, she's got this great power. It's fabulous. Yeah, so she was she was pretty excited, and we thought she's, she was perfect for the character of Billy. And Sarah Ward, you know, we've all seen Sarah play great, bold characters. You know, she was, you know, MC at Circus Oz, Yana Alana, and there's something about her brashness, and yeah, that we that we loved, and went let's let's go for Sarah, and she's embraced it mightily. She's really, I think, yeah, I don't think she's done much theatre, but she's a really fine actor, beautifully nuanced, and of course, yeah, Peter, just beautiful. She 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 really she rides the, the gamut of emotions, and she's really pure and such an honest and gutsy performer. So really, it was a great combination, seeing them together, and now we're remounting it. God, we love the... Just yesterday <laughs> rehearsal. It's such a it's a blessing to come back and revisit a work, and because, it's very you know, rare that independent yes. work oh, gets remounted. Look, it's so rare, and I was thinking about. It, I'm going. How many times have I remounted a work? Hardly ever. Maybe a couple of times in the last sort of thirty years. So it's really great. So the characters are all there, and now it's the pleasure of just detailing a little bit more, colouring it a little bit more. You know, so it's a luxury. Holding them back. Holding them back. <laughs> they want to keep going. They want to... You know, it's brilliant. And, we, yeah, as I said, we laugh a lot. The thing about casting, though, is so fascinating because one of the biggest problems if you is that you, you, the, the drama schools are, are getting all these young, young actors out and, and who, who can afford to go to drama school or um, is are middle-class young people? And so to actually find working-class or actors... It's not actually being working class is necessarily the thing, but who actually understands that there is a different way of talking and then there is a different sound to it and, and a different sensibility. And to, to win that, you have to kind of have lived a bit. And so it's actually quite a difficult thing to cast, to find the right people. It's a bit like a play that I wrote that Susie directed called Savages, about those men are, are tough men and they're very recognisable, but they're actually not in your 
you kind of usual on the stage. Yeah, I remember even like auditioning for Savages. We auditioned a lot of men, and uh, yeah, it was it was hard to get the tone right. I yeah. can imagine. Yeah, yeah all those yeah. kind of like nicely rounded vowels from uh, yeah. kind of actors yeah, from exactly. the VCA and Night. It's kind of like no, no drop that a little. <laughs> drop bit. that. Speaking, Don't have to hit the concert. Speaking of other plays that uh, you've directed, Susie, I just wanted to briefly mention uh, Peddling, which is on at the MTC at the moment. It's their kind of family slash education show, which you've directed, and which I had the utter pleasure of seeing on Friday night. Um, and again, kind of vernacular and physical and, yeah, and vibrant. Yeah, South London. South London. Very yeah. South London. Yeah, South London, working class boy. Yeah, who's a, a, a brilliant actor, just really gifted to have Darcy Brown um, as the performer. Yeah, that's a, a, again, it's a working class gritty piece. But he really, he... he he did his homework and he really embraced the language and really sort of sat in the character. Sort of a bit of a method actor, which, you know, I don't mind a bit of method acting. Bit of method. Yeah, so I feel really proud of that because that was a piece that, you know, it's a beautiful text as well. It's like a long poem, sort of a bit sort of uh, a rap orientated, you know, rhyming verse. Um, and so I think, yeah, that was allowed, uh, allowed me as a director to sort of, yeah, sort of pull it apart a little bit, but also detail it and really attack it physically. He's an actor that wasn't afraid, again, a bit like the shit girls and savages, to, you know, to go there physically, to jump in the deep end, be really brave with your body. And I, I just get so much pleasure working with an actor who, you know, is going to use their whole body and their voice. Sure, we don't want it to become too crazy and too busy. It's a beautifully distilled piece, but it's, you can feel, you can feel it. You, you, well, you can see the sweat, but you can feel you feel it in your bones when 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 the text is 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 played out like that. So yeah, I, I'm proud of that piece as well. Peddling. Yeah, on now at the MTC in uh, in the Lawless Studio, and before it goes off to regional Victoria, I believe up to yeah. Mildura and elsewhere. So people should go and see that, and they should also go and see Shit, which is on at 45 downstairs from the 4th to the 15th of May. Uh, the venue is 45 downstairs in Flinders Lane at 45 Flinders Lane. Uh, you can book by calling nine double six two double nine double six or online at www.45downstairs.com. I'm really looking forward to seeing. It again and looking forward to re-familiarising myself with Billy, Bobby and Sam, the, the three <laughs> young women kind of uh, uh, the play is about who are damaged but they're still kind of alive and passionate and it was a, an absolute delight to um, spend an hour in their company. So, <laughs> Patricia, thank you for joining us. Thanks Richard. Susie, thanks for joining us as thank well. Thank you. We'll catch you uh, in another time and uh, I look forward to seeing what the two of you cook up next. Yeah. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Triple R is the station you're tuned to. It's 10.32. Richard Watts with you here on Smart Arts, taking you through until midday today. My next guest has just joined me in the studio. Uh, Rob Tannion is the Artistic Director of Circus Oz, the newly appointed Artistic Director, um, following uh, in the footsteps of Mike Finch, who was in the role previously for 17 years. So... Um, Rob, welcome to Triple R to begin with, and indeed welcome to Melbourne. Thank you very much. Ooh, hold on, it helps if I have the right, right microphone on, that's better. Um, so, you've been at the company now for what, three and a half weeks? Three and a half weeks, yeah, absolutely. It's been, um, it's been a, a pretty hectic three and a half weeks, but yeah, newly, new, fresh, fresh um, into, you know, trying to warm up the, the seat that, uh, that Mike left nice, nice and, um, you know, 
yeah, well well sat in and a big pair of shoes to try and fill underneath it. So, yeah, yeah very happy to be here. So your background, you've been uh, living and working in Europe for over 20 years um, yeah. uh, and originally a dance background. So how did you go from dance to circus? Um, yeah, that's a very good question. Well, I, I, I think it even you know, probably starts before that. I, I got into dance via kind of a sport athletic sort of background um, and sort of fell into dance in some sort of way and liked it and it was challenging and, um, yeah, obviously dance performed and then was interested in starting to direct and choreography and acting and then um, about two, in about 2005, like I'd been creating work for quite a while, um, in about 2005, I got invited to a project um, which was called uh, in Bristol, which was um, called What If, and the and the premise of that um, project was eleven groups, circus groups, all brought together in a you know very a big sort of art complex, and um, and they had invited you know choreographers, directors, dramaturgs, um, designers, and the idea was not to. Um, create works for them but it was to provide tools um so anyway i i started working with you know i I had little slots of you know two hours three hours and it was a massive turnover and i i had it was two weeks and i during that two weeks i just went oh my god this is so incredibly rich these artists are not only do they have an incredible skill base they have an incredible you know skill base within circus their specific circus technique um but they're very, very hungry to expand and know and learn and and they were, you know, very versatile, you know, and all of a sudden I went, well, okay, maybe this is the change I'm looking for. You know, it wasn't an instant overnight um, transition, but, yeah, slowly uh, different projects I started doing, it tended to incorporate more circus or have circus artists involved with them. Um, and then I guess the big change for me, uh, was in 2008 I um, yeah I took on my f- first circus show which was um, uh, called Crece and in, in a very beautiful theatre in, in Madrid which, which is called the Teatro uh, Circo Prise and I had 15 artists and four weeks to make a new show and I went well I don't know what a circus show is but I'll make a show um, using circus artists and I'll try and respect and understand what circus is but I don't want to do what I have as a stereotype of circus, so I kind of did a mix. You know, a circus meets physical theatre, and which I think is a good way to, to in some ways, to get into a, an art form because it means that you're coming in without a, without too many preconceptions about this is the way it's always been done. Therefore, I must follow follow this model. You can you can make your own show rather than relying on on uh, the the structures of a heritage heritage art form. So, mm-hmm. did that show, for example? Um, uh, because one of the things that frustrates me watching contemporary circus sometimes is the the constant kind of the applause point where you just know that can like this is where we are expected to applaud mm-hmm. regardless of whether we like the trick or not and they these points will punctuate a show and so forth did you were you aware of that kind of structure and trying to avoid it at the time um yeah i mean i was yeah i was, I was aware and again you know i just go what were my preconceptions of circus and it was you know i do but you know everything is worth two bucks two bucks two bucks and then there came this hundred dollar you know hundred dollar moment where everyone should stop and applaud and i um i def i I made a conscious choice at that point not to 
look for applause. Um, if the applause came, it would it would come because people wanted applause, not to be asking for it. And again, you know, depending on where you work within circus, you know, whether it's more traditionally based or if it's contemporary circus, there are moments where. You know, it is a convention. It is a convention with circus that, you know, I do this and I look up at this point and people will applaud. We know. Um, so I guess in that show, definitely not. I I came in from, um, like I said, I was really looking at creating a show that had some sort of dramaturgy, that had a story, um, you know, I had a through-line character in it. And, um, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't looking for... Applause. What I was looking for was to move the audience, both 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 visually and emotionally, um, and yeah, somehow that seemed to have succeeded. And <laughs> well, since then, you've I mean, because I know you've done you've done big scale, uh, more commercially oriented shows. You've done much more smaller, edgier circus works as well. You've mm-hmm. also done music theatre, yep. kind of, uh, that's been uh, in the mix as well. So you've got a range of scales you've worked at and a range of, I guess, expressions and, and artistic forms and you're bringing all of that plus your dance background. You used to be involved with the, the company DV8, for example, who blew my mind years ago when I saw the work um, Dead Dreams of Monochrome Men oh, was the right, very yeah. first DV8 work I saw. Um, so you've got all of these different skills which you're then bringing to Circus Oz who have a reputation as being larrikin and a bit of rock and roll and also being very family focused mm-hmm. as well. So how yeah. are you going to shake <laughs> up yeah. Circus Oz? That, I mean, I, I guess that's that's, a, that's where the the two worlds need to, to meet, clash, collide and and push each other. You know, obviously my my experience and my background, um, you know, has been it's been a conscious choice to appoint me as uh, as the artistic director. I guess because of what I bring, um, and and also I'm very conscious of where the comp- you know where the company's history and where it has been, and you know what I know as circus arts, as you say, you know, larrikin and oi, my gosh, did they just say that? And energetic and kind of really oddball characters. So um, and and family oriented. Yeah, I, I guess. You know, where where are my thoughts at the moment? Uh, uh, exactly in that. You know, is is there only one show? You know, is um, can we have more than one show? Uh, do we have an all audience show or family orientated show? Um, do we have a darker, edgier shows that are you know more condensed, more compact, darker, um, directed to a more adult audience? Um, do we take circus at like where I, I really want to. F- open up as much as I can not only the process of work that the company has had and I and when I say open it up I also mean open up my process um, you know to receive you know definitely I'm not coming in with uh, a carte blanche and go okay right whatever you've been doing for 37 years that's finished now and here I am no I want to you know respect the history and take on things and learn um, you know reconnect with Australianism you know I've been Obviously, I have been, you know, I'm kind of like a plastic Australian at the moment. I'm going, yeah, I'm Australian. Am I? Am I? Have, or, you know, 20 years out of the country's, you know, a little bit of time. And speaking Spanish for a lot of the time, you've been away as well, which presumably mm-hmm. changes the way you think as well. Because when you immerse yourself in a different culture, um, slipping back into old habits, old languages, um, and expressing ideas and even formulating those mm-hmm. ideas does change. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, yeah, it was a massive learning curve. I've been in, I was, I've been in, I have, I was in living in, in Madrid for the past, um, eight years and, 
you know, obviously directing circus, and most of my circus direction has been in, you know, my my technical language for circus is in Spanish. So all of a sudden, I, you know, I find myself going, "Oh God, I don't know what that's called in. What do you call that in English?" Um, but the great thing about that is, you know, having exposure to different cultures. You know, I live obviously living in Spain and working in. Um, and needing to express yourself in a language that's not yours um, does make you find different ways of communicating, which is, you know, I find very invaluable. And also dealing with different different cultures. I've done a lot of work in South America as well, where although we may be talking about Spanish or Portuguese, which um, you know, Portuguese I can fake a little bit, but but again, the cultures are completely completely different. Um, so yeah, I I find them that'll be kind of. It'll definitely be an, an enriching set of creative tools um, that I'll be able to bring back, you know, to, to the process in the company. Circus Oz is one of the Australian major, uh, Australian major performing arts group companies, the Ampag companies, uh, who were immune from the cuts administered to the Australia Council last year by uh, then Arts Minister George Brandis. And Circus Oz was also one of the only Ampag companies to speak out against those cuts and the damage that they would do to the sector, which I admired enormously. How important is it for Circus Oz to recognise that it is part of a broader community of circus artists, not operating in isolation. Yeah, and very, very important. You know, there, there are a lot of... Uh, again, I, I'm not quite sure what perception people have of Circus Oz. If it is, you know, you know, this isolated company and, and it's ivory, um, you know... <laughs> it's ivory Collingwood <laughs> kind of... Uh, <laughs> Premises, yeah. yeah, but there's a lot. You know, there's there's a lot of focus um, within the company on social enterprise about making sure that there's accessibility um, to you know for independent artists and independent companies, small to medium scale companies having access to space and rehearsal time. Um, there are lots of projects, you know, Side Salt, which supports um, independent artists, um, Black Flip, which is looking at um, Indigenous arts and how we can um, promote and, and get Indigenous artists into circus, um, as well as the Strong Women program. So there's a, there's a, a really large um, range of other projects apart from what we you know, just consider the main show. Yeah. So, um, and, and it back, is important. Coming back to what you were saying earlier, that notion of being able to, for you to be able to then reassess, is there more than one main stage show? Do you do a main stage show and then a series of smaller shows and so forth? Um, having the freedom to do that is great. And also my understanding of, of the company is that when Circus Oz moved to Collingwood, there was a lot of consultation with local circus, circus artists who might have had their own workshop space that they would then hire out. And suddenly Absolutely. Circus Oz moves in and with a much bigger kind of studio. So I know the company was going, right, we don't want to tread on any toes moving into Collingwood. So for me, certainly there's a real sense of Circus Oz being connected to a broader circus community in Melbourne and Australia. What about the traditional circus community? Because often when we talk about circus in Australia, the focus is on new circus, mm -hmm. in inverted commas, or contemporary circus. Um, uh, uh, so what about the, the traditional family circuses that are still touring the company? Would you like to see more connection between them and circus Oz? Yeah, like, uh, you know, just uh, based on my ex my experience, I'll jump to this in a second, um, in Madrid, but yeah, for personally, definitely, I'd like, I think there is a, um, there's a lot to learn between um, you know, where, where, the, where are the origins of circus that, you know, traditionally have come through a lot of, you know, ver, uh, family, family circus, circus, um, touring shows. 
uh, which is obviously then being broadened out. When New Circus turned up, I felt like um, the traditional circus... There was, as segregation began to evolve, and, you know, there does tend to be a bit of judgment. You know, well, you know, that's trad circus. And I, um, what I feel right now, especially in Europe and having worked in, in Madrid, some of the most exciting contemporary circus performers are now the new generation of f- family or traditional circus um, artists who are, you know, let's say from 18 to 24, 25, and there's a huge wave of those artists arriving now who have incredible technique, they have amazing performance skills, um, and they have great contemporary numbers. And all of a sudden, you know, and, and this is what I quite often, you know, had said to, you know, to different circus institutions in, in um, you know, in Spain, around Spain, you know, in Spain going, you know, don't, don't, Contemplate the na- your navel too much because there's there's another generation that's arriving here and we should be talking. Yeah. Um, well, certainly here in Australia, one of the most astounding foot juggling acts I've ever seen was a, a couple of kids from a traditional circus family who, mm-hmm. and I at that stage I think I'd been a I'd become a new circus snob. I was going, well, of course, new circus is the best and it's cutting edge and contemporary. And then I saw kind of like this teenage boy juggling his younger brother on his feet, and mm-hmm. I was just the the precision and the skill and the control was breathtaking. So yeah, if we if if you can forge stronger links between traditional circus and new circus i think that'll be a a really exciting thing for circus oz and just having a new artistic director is obviously going to be exciting for the company as well because um no disrespect intended to mike whatsoever but he was there for 17 years that means the company has got used to a certain style of direction and leadership which is not going to be your style so it doesn't that's not to say that the existing the previous style is bad it's just that you will have a different approach yeah and i think you know i i think it's in it's it's an important time, you know, for for all of us. It was a re- definitely the right time for for me. You know, I had been going out, being almost a mercenary director. You know, employed to create a show here, move, I go to create another show. So to have a um, a commitment with within a, a company structure is really really valuable. That can see a development of not only the directorial work that I may be able to. Um, uh, share with the with the company, but also um, about the ideas I might be able to bring in. And I think what's what's really important is that everyone's open to new processes. Um, and sometimes that may be uncomfortable, and sometimes and I think it's good to be uncomfortable. You know, the the times that we do go, well, this is it. I've got the formula. You know, when people often ask, you know, what is you know. Know, do I have a formula of how I create work? And I go, well, no, actually, if I, if I, and what I want to do is create a, a good show. And if that show requires, um, I don't know, uh, three singers, two circus artists, and a comedian, then that's what I need to use. I don't want to feel like I, I've got a formula. And, and I have to say that though, that way of thinking really harks back to, uh, my time working as a performer with Lloyd Newton and Deviate Physical Theatre, you know, he made my first show with with the company was um, Enter Achilles, which was a, a cracking show. And the, the next show I created with him um, was called Bound to Please, and and he really said, you know, he said to me, look, I know I could I could copy the, copy this formula, I could sell it around the world, but I'm not going to be pushed artistically, so I'm going to go 
in a in a completely different direction. And I really respected that. You know, it was a, it was a very hard process. It was a very different show, but I think I, they're the sort of seeds that you carry with you. You know, as a budding performer, that then you take into to how you direct. We're speaking with the new artistic director of Circus Oz, Rob Tannian, who's been with the company for uh, three and a half weeks, uh, was appointed in December uh, and has just recently arrived in Australia and uh, I'm sure has had a hell of a lot of meetings and a lot of conversations over the last few weeks. I did quickly want to mention the new Circus Oz show 2016, which uh, will be on in Birurung Ma from the 15th of June to the 10th of July, currently in regional Victoria, I believe. Uh, You're not directing this show, which which is good. It means that you get to spend this year not having to think and make a brand new show, but uh, just think about the company and its role and what it's done, what it does. Annie Davy is directing uh, 2016. Where yeah. is it at the moment? Because I know it opened in it, Warrnambool yeah. about a week ago. Yeah, opened in Warrnambool, and uh, last it was last night in uh, in Horsham. Finished with a you know a, a voluntary standing ovation. We didn't put anything under the seats. People jumped up, and 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 I think that's a really good sign. It's pre, you know it's a pretty exciting. Um, new show, obviously, it's it's tightening up, it's finding its feet with with an audience, but it's a really solid show, and it'll be really worth coming and checking it out when once it gets here to Melbourne. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to checking it out, and I'm looking forward to checking out what you do with Circus Oz in the coming years. So, Rob, thanks for joining us here at Triple R, and thank you uh, so much. Chookers for not only for this season of uh, 2016 for the the whole company, but for the the coming years as well. Great, thank you. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. And uh, I'm joined in the studio now by actors Zara Newman and Mark Winter, who are currently performing, well, not currently performing on stage, but uh, currently working in a season of the Melbourne Theatre Company production, Miss Julie. Welcome to you both. Thank Thank you you for having us, Richard. My very great pleasure. Now, Zara, I think the last time you were in, you were in a, a red stitch play maybe no, no i was not i think the last time i was in was for the effect probably oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. a couple of years ago yeah. yeah yeah no i haven't been in melbourne for about a year and a half what so. have you been doing i've been in uh sydney actually working as an actor must travel around um yeah. yeah so i've just the last kind of the last year year and a half um I've been in Sydney doing work at Belvoir Great. and mm. STC. Yeah. Cool. Well, welcome back to Melbourne. Thank nice you. To have you Thanks. Back it's good to be back. <laughs> and Mark, last time I caught up with you was uh, uh, an MTC production last year, Birdland. That's so right. What have you yeah. been doing in the in the intervening year? Well, I went uh, up to Sydney also, did a production of um, King Lear up there um, with the STC, which was a, another fascinating uh, project to work on. And um, so, yeah, it's been fairly uh, theatre heavy. For both mm. of us, I think. Good. Which mm. is what you want, being kind of actors, this is the profession you've chosen and the way you, <laughs> that you pay the bills and also the way you express yourself. Before we get into talking about Miss Julie, talk to me about the life of a working actor, given because it sounds like you must be fairly nomadic, a challenge to, to put down roots if you're moving between cities regularly for a, an extended kind of, what, a four-week rehearsal and then a, a month-long production or something. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, I, it, it is fairly nomadic. I guess it's it's sort of... What you have to do, though, I mean, there's there's so the industry is kind of flooded with so many um, capable artists, and there's so little paid work, um, and so a little bit you're a little bit at the mercy. I mean, if you're going to be an interpretive artist, there's also options. You know, if you want to make your own work, and you know, in that way, I think if you if you want to be more in control of where you are, um, you know, you can make your own work and choose to stay in a state, and you know, form form a group of people around you that. 
mm. you know, and and sort of generate your own your own traction. Um, but if you're working certainly in the commercial, um, you know, subsidised theatre realm, then you're definitely moving around. And even for television and film and stuff, you know, you still have to move around a lot. But it's also great. I mean, it's also kind of what I like being you know as an actor I, I like being transient and i like getting to go and live in sydney for a bit and come back to melbourne you know i haven't had a melbourne winter for a while which has been nice uh, <laughs> well it hasn't got to winter to it, yet but no, it's been very kind <laughs> yes, of late <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean ultimately i think it'd be nice to one day be in a position where you can live wherever you want and you know people will just fly you where they need you but um you know certainly the nomadic lifestyle of it is you know, it's really interesting, you know, you're just always kind of on the move and, you know, always dipping your toe into all these different projects and different worlds. So, yeah, it's a fascinating life. It sort of sometimes can keep you in a bit of a strange adolescence because you don't necessarily just set your roots and then grow from there. But, you know, it has, it's, I think it has its its pros and cons, mm. yeah. this this way of living. Well, let's talk about the, the current play that you've both dipped your toes into. Let's, uh, August, let's talk August about Strindberg's it. Miss Julie, the current MTC production, directed by Kip Williams. What was it about this production, not just this play per se, but this production of the play, that made you both want to get involved? Well, firstly, I think the play is just the most extraordinary proposition, and it's deeply problematic uh, text, you know, it's um, Strindberg sort of notorious, notorious for his rampant misogyny, which is, you know, contained in this work. So coming to it, you know, you get a bunch of uh, great artists in a room who really want to try to to make something of this work, and um, you know, I guess we had to ask ourselves some pretty heavy questions about, you know, what is this play about, and 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 what are we going to do with it. But you know, essentially, it's a battle of the sexes in many ways. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a, a look at repression, both uh, gender and class repression, and um, yeah, it's sort of like a cage match between <laughs> these people who just sort of, you know, tear shreds off each other, and um, you know, in trying to get what they want. Mm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, it certainly, I, I was overseas at the time and I was um, cast quite late in the process. And for me, with a lot of decisions, you know, as, I, as I've sort of gotten older, a lot of the decisions about whether or not to do a project really have to do with a lot of the times the people involved, you know, because... Um, uh, yeah, it, it, that has that's a so, you know part of making a work is about the theater of it. And, I'm sorry, the community of it. Um, so for me, it was about getting a chance to work with Kip again and getting a chance to work with Mark, who I've known for a while and always wanted to work with. Mm. Um, and uh, and also something that Kip had said to me in our very early discussions about him wanting to look at the relationship between the two women in the play and um, trying to flesh that out and and really. Um, allow them give that relationship a chance to make have its own story so that was sort of what drew me to it yeah Yeah. now the play was written in 1888 this version of it that the mtc is staging is not set strictly in that period it's been updated slightly just after yeah Yeah. kind of the the turn of the 20th century the dawn of the 20th century but so there's nonetheless a strong sense of period about it Mm -hmm. um but the language is decidedly not period the the language uh is uh very vernacular very contemporary tell us about who, who did the translation and who uh, 
So the translation was done by I cannot remember her name. She's Nina. Uh, Nina. Tirson uh, or something. Yeah, like Nina Tirson. Yeah. Something. Uh, she's a Swedish. Uh, um, uh, a colleague of Chris Mead's, I think, who mm. Chris Mead, who's um, a dramaturg at, at MTC, and uh, he or he's the literary manager at MTC, mm. and, uh, and so, dramaturg. And I, dramaturg he, I know yes. he's dramaturg yeah, a lot yeah. of the new works that, yeah. that are put on. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so he got in contact with her, and she she did a literal translation of the Swedish. So literally, you know, word for word, she translated what the Swedish into English, and then she had an a passable English line underneath that so sort of how you would say it in english that sounded not so kind of stilted <laughs> you know as, as a literal like reading translation. A, yeah like reading a, i don't know something from a, a catalog translated from yeah. japanese it's exactly. kind of transliterated yeah. often exactly. does not make exactly. sense so so we had that and then kip from that version kip together with chris created a version that we had on the first day and then essentially throughout rehearsals you know everyone was able to to sort of have input and and ideas about about how to make the language sing. I mean, it's interesting what you say about the language being very vernacular. I mean, some of it, yes, there's swearing in it and stuff like that. But but actually, in terms of the the prose of it and the um, the language is quite, it's quite formal sometimes. You know, in terms of and very, and that and I mean maybe a bit less so for me, but certainly for the other characters. You know, there's moments where it's quite it's it's quite huge and there's big ideas being communicated in a very florid way. So th- I think there's been an attempt to sort of traverse both of those things, making yeah. it accessible, but totally. also recognising that it's still, you know, within a time where there's, like, um, form. You know, yeah. form is quite strong. It, it struck me that it was like the characters themselves. It's trying to live in two worlds um, uh, and, and trying to represent the challenge of, yeah, a formal period past when the love between a, uh, a high-class woman and a servant would be shocking and terrifying mm. and, and destructive for everybody involved. Mm. And simultaneously, yeah, it's, it's trying to have the pace and the, uh, the, the, the verve, I guess, of, a, of, of contemporary television or, or contemporary theatre. So. Mm. And I think we just didn't want it to sound particularly foreign to the ear, you know, that people go, like, OK, yeah, I can, I can hear this, I can relate to it, it doesn't feel necessarily modern or necessarily dated, you know? Now, the other thing that we should mention about it, of course, is that it's not just a theatre production in the sense of what people think of when they think of theatre, because there's an enormous amount of video involved with this production as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you are being scrutinised by the audience from almost every angle, because they're looking at you on stage, then they're looking at cameras oh, zooming geez, in. Richard, and oh, geez, <laughs> calm down, calm down. Yeah. Don't tell me that. Jeez, yeah. I've noticed. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> What's that like, uh, to know that it's not just about the performance that you are presenting to the audience but that there are cameras off in the dark kind of capturing different aspects of you yeah it looks fascinating i mean the whole process has been fascinating i mean you know it's it's a it's a big undertaking this play and we sort of had a four-week rehearsal and then you know a two-day tech with five cameras which is reasonably intense so we get to where we get to and then you know the show's sort of constantly uh, developing and deepening which is really great um, in terms of the cameras, it just it, it creates a whole different sort of performance style. You know, you you it, you can you can be very private actually with your performance when you know you're being, you know, picked up in in various different ways. So I find it a fascinating sort of blend of the mediums to explore, um, and I think it does create a very interesting uh, textural aspect to the project. Um, 
So yeah, I, I, I quite enjoy it. You know, it's 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 interesting. I have found myself getting stuck a few times, going like, "Shit, am I on stage or am I on screen here?" You know, and you can get caught in a in a little bit of a death mid zone. But um, those things are sort of more balancing out now. So you know, I've I've quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, this is my first time working with multimedia in this way, um, in in a show, certainly to this extent. And um, but I, you know, the way that we rehearse the play, and I only sort of realized this in hindsight, looking back at the rehearsal process, the cameras were in the room, but we weren't ever creating the performances for the cameras. The, you know, the the um, assistant. The assistant director was sort of, you know, making notes about what the shapes that we were forming in the rehearsal and about how that would work for cameras. And Kip was sort of doing that as well while while we were working. So, you, for me, I never felt sort of hindered by the cameras. You definitely became more aware of it during during the technical, you know, when we were doing the technical rehearsals. Um, but yeah, I, I quite like the intimacy that it that it affords. But I think it's really interesting from a directorial point of view. I mean, I'm not a director, but but certainly how he's um, directing the audience's gaze. You know, it's a different sort of stage picture, or it's, a, or it's a different way of directing where the audience focus goes to, you know, because when you're just doing a traditional play, um, you know, you have to work a little bit harder to show the audience where to look. You know, if you wanted yeah. to look at someone who's not speaking for a monologue, you know, it, you, you have to work a little bit harder. The cameras allow Kip to, to have a bit more freedom and to... to shoot the eye you know towards something and, else and the whole idea behind the, the behind the cameras was uh this idea that these people are being watched they are being scrutinized they are in a microcosm in this thing and it's a little pressure cooker and you know people are slowly getting closer and closer and the uh, ramifications of their actions are going to have big consequences you know, so that that was the sort of dramaturgical um, viewpoint that Kip was taking with it, and which is reinforced uh, uh, visually as well, not just through the cameras, but through the the glass walled set. The, the, exactly. These people are exactly. in a fishbowl. It's a fishbowl. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, And they're slowly being brought up to the boil. Yeah. So, uh, although Zara, your character is, to a degree is outside of, of of some of that tension, you kind of yeah. you facilitate some of the drama uh, and observe some of the drama, yeah. but are, are not so closely caught up in the 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 power games yeah. that are playing out in yeah. the kitchen to so a degree. Something mm. that we talked about was, um, you know, because in, in the original text, you know, and, and Strindberg wrote this in his introduction to the play that he wrote the maid as this as the moral voice, you know, the observer of these, you know, selfish people who then stands in judgment of them and she's the voice of religion and, and you know, moral righteousness. And, you know, for me, I want to play something a little bit more interesting, <laughs> something a little bit more three-dimensional. So, while that may be the function of the character, you know, in the in the playing of it, you're going to do it for five weeks. You kind of want something a little bit more rounded. Um, and something that I talked a lot to keep about was that actually, you know, this person, uh, while outside of it, needs to represent the human ramifications of the actions that these people take. You know, and the decisions that they, that Jean and Julie, um, make in this one night. You know, this journey that they go on has, has repercussions for people on the outside, and that's sort of you know making making it a human mm. thing yeah we're talking with actors Mark Winter and Zara Newman about the MTC production Miss Julie, which is on at the moment at the South Bank Theatre until the 21st of May Zara you just mentioned your character is the maid I must admit my political hackles went up a little bit going ah oh, an actor of colour has been cast as a maid again yes yes, yes. Uh, um and uh I asked Kip 
this question. I hope he doesn't mind me, you know, saying this um, on air. He shouldn't. Um, but I, I did say to him because initially when I heard that the play was being adapted, I thought, oh, we're going to do it contemporary. So you know, before I even had my first meeting with him, I I had all these questions about how we're going to bring it forward, you know, and it's how how we're going to make everything relate to a contemporary audience. And and he said to me, no, we're setting it in you know 1910 and. And I, the first thing I said to him, one of the first things I said to him was, am I playing the black maid in your show? And Kip was sort of surprised by that. He didn't, he was like, no, that's not at all what I'm doing. Oh my gosh, that's, you know. And um, it's it's a funny question and it's interesting. And, and um, I, I don't think that there's ever one solve. I would hate to say that I shouldn't be allowed to play Kristen because she's a maid and because I'm black, you know, that somehow I should not get to play this role like there's so much more to the role apart from her being a maid you know what I mean and and that's sort of what we've tried to um, extract from from the piece as well um, I think it has to do with um, you know what who, who what the decisions are and what um, what you're coming to with and what it, the you know? humanity is what the humanity yeah. is like and I it's it's and I mean it's I don't I don't think I'm going to solve it in this interview. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I take your point though, and I had the same question when I started the production. I know that Kip's not casting me that way. I know that everybody else in the room doesn't see me that way, and that the way that we investigate the character is not driven by that. Yeah. So I feel, you know, fine doing. Yeah, it's doing something that. of a devil's advocate question, but I'm yeah. also well aware of actors who've come through some drama schools, for example, going, so I'm not, I'm a person of colour and why am I not being cast as Juliet? I'm being cast as the maid or sure. kind of, yeah. And I, I should say that I, you know, I've been very fortunate in my career. I don't get cast as the maid all the time. So I'm not, you yeah. know what I mean? It's not, yeah. it's not a case of me being the maid in every single show that I do. So Absolutely. I've been quite fortunate in, in um, being cast as in, in many different roles, you know, across, yeah. across the board. But I, but I take, I take the point and I and I take that criticism and like I said it's a conversation and I guess it it's more an piece. observation than a criticism yeah but or yeah. sure sure yeah, yeah. 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 Now, um, speaking of criticism, though, the play has divided critics. I don't know whether you guys read the reviews Do or not. not. Read reviews. Do I, not read reviews. I have, uh, <laughs> I have um, been sort of just um, keeping abreast of things. I haven't really read them, but I've just been getting a sort of gauge from Kip. Let's and just say that it goes from a one-star one review to, to a four five. and a half. Yeah, one, yeah. yeah. And yeah. It's, it is absolutely wow. fascinating. Um, That's great. Know, it is great. I think that's great. It's what, terrific. Like, we're doing our jobs. Like people are talking about it. People are challenged by it, and and people are arguing about what it means. Exactly. And, yeah. and I am. I am truly fascinated, though, because mostly it seems to be about being respectful towards Strindberg, from what I can gather. And this, I just find utterly astounding. You know, here's this guy who's written this woman who is basically unplayable. Like Nevin hated doing it. Pamela Rabe hated doing it. What actress in their right mind would submit themselves to that? Where you pour your heart out into the play, but halfway through she has sex with the, the guy, he turns into a complete fucking asshole. tells her, you know, she spends the next half of the play crying and being hysterical, which is just completely outside the realm of anything we could possibly view as a real woman. And then at the end he goes, babe, just go and slit your wrists. And she does, and the audience agree. It is fascinating. And so this project, we've, you know, we've tried to balance that. We've tried to actually find a more complete version of a woman. And to be honest, it's made my job much harder. 
you know, because the functionality of genre sort of changes, so I get caught in a sort of slightly more middle zone. But to think that people are baying for this bitch's blood <laughs> is fucking fascinating. You know, the, pe- the fact that people want her dead, I am just, I'm staggered. I am just astonished, and I'm so glad that people are so up in arms about it. And frankly, you know, Strindberg can get fucked. Yes, he's a brilliant writer, and this proposition that he's made for this play is absolutely astonishing. And he has created the archi- you know, the architecture to explore an extraordinary female character. Absolutely extraordinary. And I agree, look, I think there's some problems with the end, but I think it's an argument, it's a polemic, it's an answer to a question that he posed and that he judged. And I don't feel we're trying to judge this. We're trying to, you know, open this out for a bigger conversation, and I feel that's what's happening. So I think that we've been really successful in that. But the fucking vitriol, man, I'm astonished. I am astonished. You know? (laughs) I'm not, but then I kind of I know the way that uh, critical writers will dissect and analyse a play, and of course, yeah, I, I haven't written a review of it, so I'm, I get, no, no, I get no. to stand and in the sidelines and, and and watch this play out. Of course, but you know, we as I said before, we get to where we get to. We've got four weeks working on a on a text, and and you know, we try to present something that's thoughtful, that's interesting. There's nothing flippant or arrogant about anything that we're doing, yeah. and we get to where we get to by opening night, and you know, opening night for a fucking joke. Weird. But, I, this you know, is, I always often say, kind of, I would much rather see a show halfway through its run when course. it's breathing naturally. Fuck yeah, man. It's should, its pace, we, should have, we should have yeah. out-of-town seasons. Yeah. You know, we should yeah, be yeah. doing seasons in Canberra before we even hit the main stages. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is, you know, kind of uh, a whole different conversation yes, we're going to have to have about the way the Australian theatre sector yes, works. and but critical but language, how we, you know, the way that we talk about what we do, like, I think is also really important. Yeah, yeah. Like, conversations like that. But it seems great that people are... Disagreeing angry, about it, you know, yes, and, and they some, should disagree about it, yeah. and it should create conversation. Like, I'm so glad that no one's just indifferent about it. Yeah, that you know? would be the worst yes, outcome. That exactly, would be the worst yeah, outcome. exactly, and that would be the thing you just never want to shoot for. Mm. You always got to keep pushing further, keep pushing harder. You know, that's what we need to do. We need to be ambitious with our work. Mm. We need to ask harder questions. And look, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And yeah. the, you know, the spectrum seemingly of the, you know, critical response to the yes. show has reflected that. And I think that's grand. I think it's great. The production is Miss Julie. It's on at the South Bank Theatre in the Sumner until the 21st of May. Tickets are on sale now. You can call the MTC box office, 86880800, or you can jump online, www.mtc.com.au. Zara Newman and Mark Winter, thanks heaps for joining Thank us. Thank you. Thanks Thank so you, much, Richard. Richard. Thanks. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au. Thank you.